prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, offering you our hearts, offering you our very lives, and yet we recognize the risk that that takes to be real with you, to open our true hearts to you, to open our lives with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yet we sing in faith that even in the midst of our brokenness and our mistakes and our sin, your healing and your love is present through your son, Jesus. So we thank you for that gift of forgiveness and healing. We ask that you would speak to us again this morning through your spirit and through your word. That word of encouragement to put courage into us again, to trust in you, to keep moving forward and to follow hard after Jesus. And we will thank you and praise you through his name. Amen. Good morning. It is great to be together in worship this morning. We are continuing in our series called Epic, where we are talking about how we as a church, following the uh, scriptural mandates for what it means to be the church and to live in community together, can empower people and inspire change. And we've been talking about how healthy things grow, and if we are going to grow as a church, and if we are going to grow as individuals, that we have to understand that growing things change. And we cannot successfully change in healthy ways alone. If we want to go far, we need to go together. That's part of what it means to be a part of a faith community. It's not that we just come to the same building on Sunday morning and sing a few songs and then go back to our individual lives. We get involved in each other's lives and we encourage one another to be on that growing edge in our spiritual walk, in our personal lives, in our relationships. And as if you were here last week, you heard Kara talk about how uh, growing things, healthy change needs direction. We have to have a vision for where God is leading us, and we have to develop plans and strategies for how we're going to walk in step with the Spirit, always trusting that as we experience change and confusion, we can bank on God's vision for our lives. And we were able to celebrate communion last week and see in those simple elements of broken bread and crushed grapes, the the body and blood of Jesus, which is God's vision of his love poured out for us. It's the very reason we've been singing and celebrating this morning. And, And one of the themes woven through our music and our worship this morning is an understanding of how the love of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ turns our life priorities upside down, and it reorders all of the things that we thought were important and sets us on a new path with a new direction. And as we trust God's plan for our life, as we seek a vision for what he would have us be and do individually for our families and as a church, we also need to recognize that sometimes it'll be confusing. Sometimes we won't have clear answers. And in the midst of the anxiety and the fear that can come in when we're not sure what the next step is, we have to trust in God and keep moving forward. And that's going to be our theme today is keep moving forward forward. Even when things seem difficult or challenging, we know that experiencing change often leads us to experiences of of a sense of destabilization in our life or a disorientation. Things are not the way they they used to be, and we're not sure what the new thing that's coming is going to be, and so we live in this in-between season of, of difficulty, and it produces anxiety. And we become anxious, and life begins to feel a bit out of control. The temptation in those situations is to fall back to what's familiar, to fall back to what we've known in the past, even if what's familiar isn't all that healthy for us. 
there is a great motivation to want to go back to what we, are, what we know and what we are familiar with. Because then at least we feel like we know what's coming and we know what's going on. This is uh, becoming true in my life again uh, in this season. As uh, some of you know, uh, our family is going through a season of, of I would say, pretty dramatic change. You know, my wife, Tammy, who has been uh, working out of the home for two years, has now gone back into teaching, and she's full-time in the classroom, and our family schedule has been thrown into chaos. I mean, you know, we had a kind of a set routine that we had developed in the last two years, and now all of that's out the window. And as a result, uh, having to get boys up and out to school and having Tammy leave really early to get to the classroom herself ahead of her students, our whole family schedule has shifted to a much more early morning schedule. I'm a late night person. (laughs) And that's not fair. And so I knew intellectually going into this fall as, we, as we, we prayed and we sought God's direction, we said, is this God's plan for our family in this season? Is this what God is leading Tammy to do, to go back into the classroom? And, and we prayed and we said, yes, this is, this is what God is leading us to. And so intellectually I could anticipate, uh, we developed a vision and a plan that we would have to move to an earlier morning schedule as a family. Well, of course, fall comes and it did not work well for me. Because, see, one of the things you need to know about me is growing up, being a late-night person, I developed a pattern and a habit of using my sleep schedule as a way of controlling my life. Let me explain what that means. I kind of believed, not intellectually, but more emotionally... That when I got anxious and fearful about what was going on in my life, when I was anxious about what was happening, if I stayed up, I could prevent the next day coming. It's not logical, right? But, but can you see the emotion of that? I'm, I'm anxious about the next day. I'm anxious about what's happening in my life. And if I go to bed and fall asleep, the next day is going to come like that, right? I don't want the next day to come that fast because I'm anxious about it. So if I stay up later and later and later, I can prevent the future that I'm afraid of. And so if you think about that, as we moved into this fall season, what is my default pattern when I get anxious and fearful about changes in my life? To stay up later and later and later. But the vision, the plan was to go to bed earlier and get up earlier to be a support for my family, right? And so I find myself in this difficult in-between phase where the very thing that I know God has led us to and that I need to be doing for my own family and my own success to be a wise steward of the gift that God has made me to my family has become a greater challenge to me, and it's easy for me to be tempted to fall back into those old patterns of control and familiarity. You can see the dilemma. Staying up later and later does not lead to the healthy change that I think God wants for me to be able to be doing the things that he wants me to do for my marriage and my family in this season. Now, one of the disciplines that I've been able to successfully maintain over the last number of years is that I've always engaged in, in, in what I call a spiritual coach. Uh, I've always had somebody who is a little bit further along on the journey with me, who has experience in uh, working in ministry and, and hopefully also has some counseling background, who can be a wise sounding board for me. And so I've continued that, and I have a, every other week a, a coaching call with a, with a guy from Colorado who's been a phenomenal support and encouragement to me. And uh, in my coaching call, he challenged me to begin to change my thinking about my sleep patterns. He said, if you think about it biblically, uh, the day doesn't start in the morning with sunrise. 
In the old Hebrew tradition, the day starts at sundown and goes till the next sundown, right? That's why when they celebrated the Sabbath, they had to get ready for uh, the Sabbath on the day before. So after the sun went down, they couldn't go do any more shopping. The, The Sabbath was starting. So he said, if you think about when you're going to bedtime, you're actually starting your next day. The day has already started, so you don't have to put it off anymore. It's here. And you use that time to engage with God, end your day with some prayer and reflection, and prepare for what is coming, and give it to God so that you don't have to carry the anxiety of that. So I've been working on that, and this last week, Dick can attest, I've been able to uh, uh, change my patterns a little bit. I've been up earlier and out earlier, and it has been uh, a joy for me to be able to feel like, hey, I can change. I can be successful in making these changes, even when there's a lot of motivation to fall back to those old patterns. We all struggle with the anxiety of change. I don't know what you're experiencing in your life right now or what those patterns have been for you when you get anxious and fearful. What are those things that you fall back to that are those uh, comfort places, those behaviors that give you a sense of control? The world around us, we are learning more and more, is changing rapidly. In fact, we know that the world is changing faster in our day than it has ever changed before. And when we add the changes going on in our lives personally as well, for for us as Christians and as a church and as a faith community, it can be overwhelming to know how do we respond to and manage life in the midst of all the changes that we're experiencing. The reality is that we can find that being stuck in those old patterns and behaviors can actually become debilitating to our ability to continue to grow in our faith and in the knowledge and love of God. I think that is one of the challenges that Jesus had for his disciples early on. We're going to start by looking in Luke chapter 14. And uh, some of you are familiar with some of the other changes that happen as you get older. Um, In verse 25, he's uh, going around teaching, and it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And so at one point, he turns to the large crowds, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What? And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. See, I've just shared with you my plan, and if I don't be successful at it now, you guys are going to go, oh, how's it going, Kurt? You're getting into the office a little late today. This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's just thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You know, we we often think of Jesus as this loving, 
figure, meek and mild, who came to share the love of God with us. And yet, if we actually spend time in the scriptures and we spend time in the gospels walking with Jesus and listening to his teachings, he says some pretty radical, disorienting, and destabilizing things. Does he really mean that we should hate our father and our mother? Should we hate our wives and our children? Should we hate our own lives? I mean, that's strong language. What is he doing here? I'd like to suggest, no, he's not suggesting that we hate them in the manner of we think of hating in terms of anger and aggression and discounting them. Instead, he's wanting to shake us up by challenging our presuppositions about what is most important in our lives. You see, in the same way that it costs Jesus everything to follow God's plan and God's will for his life, He wants to make sure that we too understand that following him has real costs associated with it. Life is difficult and following Jesus is harder. It's not easier, it's harder because you have to go against the flow of your natural sinful inclinations and the very flow of the culture around you. It's not easier, it's harder, and it's going to count a cost for each one of us. Jesus is turning our normal expectations on their head in order to try and awaken us to a new perspective on our lives and on our faith in God. In another place, he says, he who loves his life in this world will lose it, while he who hates his life in this world will find eternal life. You see, there's this idea that as we grasp at life, as we try and cling to life, as we focus on the things around us and we try and hold on to them, the tighter we squeeze, the more they slip through our fingers. And while we think that's what's important is to grab at life and to seize the day, what happens is we ultimately live disappointed, dissatisfied, and disrupted lives because that's not the way God intended us to live. But if we live open-handed, if we let go of the things around us and we put our focus on God and we cling to Jesus, we discover that all those other things come into our lives in their proper place and their proper order. We gain our lives by actually giving up control ourselves. See, Jesus is making a a very stark contrast in order to wake up his disciples, to get them to think differently. It's a matter of having the right vision and the right priorities in our lives. If there is anything that we hold as more important than finding and pursuing the will of God in our lives, whether it's our family of origin, it's our own wives and children, whether it's our own lives, our career path, our hobbies, our preferences, the things that we want for ourselves, our guilty pleasures, whatever those things are, if we cling to those and find our happiness in those, they will become more important than God and our priorities will be upside down. And we will find ourselves always falling back into sinful and unhealthy patterns of life and behavior that always leave us disappointed. Maybe it's even our sleep schedules. For some of us, it might even be church. See, the reality is if we cling to the things of this world, they more often than not leave us feeling dissatisfied and disappointed. The best way for us to love family and friends and even our own lives and ourselves, Jesus is saying, is actually to put God first in your life. 
When we make the decision to follow Jesus, it's going to change our lives. There's no way around it. It's not if, but when God comes and says, you need to follow a new path. You need to walk differently. You need to think differently. You need to open yourself up to new possibilities. But we know, as we've been saying and preaching, that change makes us anxious. It produces fear. It makes us uh, not desire to move forward, but to fall back. Our temptation when things get tough will be, again, to go back to the familiar, the known, the comfortable, even if it's not what God's best is for our lives. Last week, Kara introduced us to the idea that using the story of Esther as a wonderful illustration that we do have the ability to adapt to changing circumstances in our lives in order to be influenced by God's plan no matter what our circumstances are. However, if we're not willing to adapt, if we're not willing to change, if we're not willing to go with the flow of where the Spirit is leading us, we run the risk of falling back to our own strength, our own plans, the things that are familiar to us. If we trust in Jesus, Jesus is saying we have to be willing to keep moving forward. Jesus says, who builds a building or goes to war without first counting the cost, without acknowledging that this is going to be difficult, it's going to take work and effort, and we have to have a plan in place, and we have to be willing to follow through on the plans that we make. In the same way, he says in verse 33, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Some of us in uh, leadership are reading a book called Canoeing the Mountains in preparation for our epic workshop this Saturday. It's written kind of to pastors and church leaders. It's a a little heady, uh, but it's a great book on adaptive leadership. And in the book, he talks about the experience of Lewis and Clark finding the Northwest Passageway to the Pacific Ocean. If you are familiar with the story of Lewis and Clark, uh, they set out from the east to find a waterway uh, following the Mississippi and then the Missouri River so that they could create trade routes on the river for commerce for the United States and they could, they could conquer this great North American nation. So they set out in canoes and they had guides and they had a whole team of people and they, they canoed all the way up the Missouri to the, to the end of the Missouri and their expectation, their preconceived notion is that they would find the headwaters of the Columbia River on the other side and they would hop in the Columbia River in their canoes and coast all the way to the Pacific Ocean. But what did they find when they got to the headwaters of the Missouri? The Rocky Mountains. Talking about having to adapt your plans and expectations. They had to trade in the mode of operation that they had planned on using their canoes for a whole new way of operating. They had to get horses and find new guides who were familiar with the mountain ranges and overcome their fear. Because you could imagine at that point, you could say, hey, there is no waterway. We have to turn back, right? Is that what they did though? No. They doubled down and they said, let's get some horses. Let's get some guides and we are going to find the Pacific Ocean. And as a result, they were the the first explorers to help us understand the immensity as well as the risk and the danger of this great nation in which we now live. They could have given up and turned back, but instead they kept moving forward. Sometimes in our lives, don't we expect smooth sailing? We think there's going to be an easy passageway into this next season of life that we're pursuing. And we have these great plans and these dreams for where we're going and what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, we discover range after range of mountains that we have to climb in order to get where we think we want to go. 
Are we going to shrink back in fear at the sight of those mountains? Are we going to say, God, you know, you led me this far, but this is as far as I go on this journey. I'm heading back to what's known familiar. I need, you know, a stove and uh, some comfy slippers and, and, and a warm place to put my head at night. Adaptive change leads us to want to go through hard and difficult challenges in order to discover the new things that God has for us in our lives. I want to just kind of walk through with you uh, uh, one of the theoretical constructs that we're going to be looking at at the workshop. Kind of a teaser, if you haven't signed up for the workshop this Saturday, this is some of the things that we'll be doing, and so we'd encourage you to come. Uh, if we have that on the screen, you're not going to be able to read all the, any of the words. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to have to walk you through this, and I'm guessing we'll probably just use this slide. Um, because you won't be able to see the words. But you see over here on the left side, in this circle it says stabilization. And then you have this squiggly line, and that's anxiety. And then in the center you have destabilization, with then a line underneath that says challenge, and over on the right it says new orientation. Do we have the second slide that has the other arrow up above that maybe we can see that? There you go. So... We all start off with a stable understanding of life and who we are. But when change comes, we experience anxiety, and we experience some form of disorientation, some destabilization happens in our life. Your wife goes back to work full-time, and you have to start getting up earlier. That's destabilizing to some people. Now, the fear might lead us to want to go back to what's familiar. That's the arrow up on the top. Rather than accepting the challenge, doing the hard work, and moving forward to the far right circle, which is the new orientation, the new experience, the new thing that God might be wanting to do in your life and in your church or in your marriage or in your family. And this arrow that goes back, when you do it over and over again, they say becomes the doom loop. Because what happens is the more often you shrink back from accepting the challenge of change and moving through to the new thing, the more you condition yourself, your family, your church, that change isn't possible. Change is not good. Change is not something that we're willing or even able to do. And scholars suggest that this doom loop is why nearly 80% of churches in the United States today are either stuck, not growing, or are in rapid decline. You see, each time you fall back on the doom loop, the motivation and the possibility for change diminishes. They suggest that those who are potentially change agents in a faith community or in any organization don't stick around for that kind of craziness. Whether it's the creative people who have a fresh vision who keep trying to introduce new ideas that get shot down and just don't go anywhere. Or it's the doers who like to accomplish things and get things done, but nobody will let them actually go to work and accomplish those things. Or it's your younger generation who want to try new things and experience their own faith in their own ways and in new and creative ways. They all get frustrated and eventually just leave the system altogether. See, the reality is that bold, healthy, and missional change, which is what we've been preaching about and teaching about and learning about on this vitality pathway, which is a part of the mission that God has given us as a faith community, creates some measure of destabilization and discomfort in our lives. And destabilization creates anxiety and fear. Yet destabilization is one of the prerequisites 
to experiencing change. That's why Jesus was such a volatile figure. He liked to shake things up. He destabilized the status quo. He destabilized the religious system so that people would wake up and pay attention to what God was really trying to teach them and lead them to in their lives. The truth is that some measure of destabilization and disorientation in our lives can be a good thing if we're willing to stay calm and live within the tension for a while until we can discover what it is that God is really leading us to. See, this isn't anything really new, is it? If you know your biblical history, you can go back and see this doom loop at work within the people of God over and over and over again. If you think about it, going back to maybe, do we have the one that actually shows that, okay, yes, here's the Old Testament version, right? The Hebrew people find themselves in slavery in Egypt, and they're there for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, enough time to become stable. Now, they're not happy about it. They don't like it. But it's familiar. It's somewhat comfortable. They have, you know, three square meals a day. They know what to expect. It might be the whip, but they know it's coming. And they're crying out to God, God, save us, help us. We're not happy. God says, I've heard the cries of my people, and I've come to rescue you. And he sent them Moses and led them out of slavery into the wilderness. And what did they do? Let us go back to Egypt. We hate it out here. Because they weren't willing to live with the tension of the confusion and the discomfort of the wilderness season to get to the promised land. Jesus, God had a vision for them of where he wanted to lead them. He told them where he was leading them, and all they needed to do was have their faith and trust in him that he could get them through this in-between season. But instead, they shrunk back in fear, and they wanted to go back to what was familiar, even slavery. How many of us, in the midst of our own chaos and frustration and fear of what's coming, fall back into experiences of slavery in our own lives? Whether it's an addiction or a a relationship that we know isn't healthy, or or guilty pleasures that we know aren't the best for us or what God desires for us, but, but it brings us a sense of comfort and familiarity. How many of us shrink back in fear when God challenges us to step out of what we know and to experience the promised land of what he has for us. You know, the, the, the second piece of this, if you go to the New Testament, do we see the one with uh, Jesus? Think about Jesus and his disciples, right? Here are his disciples. These 12 guys from the country are following him, and, and, and they're the, the inner circle, and, and they have this Hebrew orientation. They're stabilized in their Hebrew mindset, so much so that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the kingdom of God is coming. And they're like, Jesus, when the kingdom comes, can we sit on your right and left hand on the throne? And Jesus is going, oh, you guys have no clue what you're even talking about. You see, because this this kingly Messiah who is going to come and usher in the kingdom of God ends up on the cross and dies and is stuck in a tomb. What do you do when the Messiah dies? I mean, that's a little destabilizing. That's a little disorienting. And so if you look at the story, they go and they hide in an upper room. And they're all, you know, hiding there going, oh, no, what are we going to do? Are they going to kill us too? Right? This destabilization leads them to fear and to shrink back to what they know. Many of them went back to fishing. And, well, we don't know what else to do. Jesus is dead. Let's go fish. (laughs) 
But Jesus comes to them alive. And the fact of the resurrection completely reorients their mind from a Hebrew mindset to what we now know as a Christian mindset. That the resurrection is the power of God at work within us through the Spirit of God that is now poured out through the resurrected Christ so that we too can experience change. We don't have to live in the doom loop anymore. But we have to be willing to count the cost. Are we willing to open our hands and give everything to God? following Jesus, knowing that he is able to lead us with right priorities into the right behaviors and choices for our lives and for our church. We need to trust in God's vision for us, to make our plans and our strategies in line with where we believe God is leading us, but then to give it all to him and know that it is only through the power of the Spirit in our lives that we too can experience this kind of radical transformation of our lives and our perspective. What are the places of stability in your life today that God might be challenging you to allow a little destabilization to come in, a little discomfort, a little confusion? What are the things that might be comfortable and familiar to you that God might be challenging you to step out of in order to discover a whole new orientation of where God is leading you in your life? And in that vein, what are the challenges that you might be facing? What are the Rocky Mountain ranges that as you stand at the headwaters of the Missouri River and you anticipate where God is leading you, what are those mountain ranges that God is going to say, hey, it's going to take a lot of effort, but you're going to have to climb this hill? I was singing that song today, right? I climbed this mountain with my hands wide open. And I'm thinking, gosh, God is good. And we didn't even plan that, but it's right there, right? The Holy Spirit is good all the time. What are those hills that God has for you and I to climb? Do we have the courage to buckle down, to do the work, and to trust that if we put in the time and the effort, and if we do it together, that God is going to bless us, and we are going to experience the promised land that he has for us? At church, do we only to our known circle of friends in our own small groups because that's familiar and it's comfortable? Or are we willing to open our places of community to new friends and new people so that more people can experience the goodness of what it means to be a part of a faith community? Are we willing to reach out to people we don't know on Sunday morning and say, hey, you know, uh, you might not be new here, but you're new to me. Let me introduce myself to you. Or do we just stick with the people that we are comfortable with because we know them and we we talk with them, letting those other people just kind of go find their own friends? Are we willing to allow God to lead us to connect with a neighbor in our neighborhoods or a colleague at work or someone that we might just run into at the grocery store and spark up a friendship to begin to create relationships with people who don't know God, who are far from God, so that we can have a new orientation of how God might want to use us to be a light in the darkness and to bless others? You may have your own ideas about how God might be challenging you. Ask yourself key questions about this adaptive challenge. Where are you experiencing a sense of discomfort and destabilization, and where is God in the midst of that? What might he be using that experience to to pique your awareness and to open you to new possibilities? What fears do you carry that might be connected to a, a sense of a loss of something from the past or a sense of stability or clarity or control that, that might be part of God inviting you to let go of those to discover a whole new sense of understanding of God's will for your life? What is the challenge that God is leading us to accept as a faith community 
so that we can continue to move forward and not fall back to the old and the familiar and the comfortable. See, as a church, we've been focusing on asking good questions in this season. Uh, In this adaptive leadership uh, training that we've been getting, they're calling these balcony conversations. If we had a balcony in the church, it would be, you know, up and back. You've probably all been in a balcony. They suggest take some time to walk into the balcony and look down from a a higher perspective, a broader perspective. Ask good questions. What's working and what's not working and why? What's wrong with the situation that we find ourselves in? And, and what might make a, a, an improvement or, or something different? What's confusing? What needs greater clarity? And how do we bring clarity and communicate it more effectively? What are we missing in order to achieve the things that God is calling us to achieve? And how do we add those in in ways that are healthy and life-giving? In his book called Stuck, Navigating the Transition of Life and Leadership, written by a guy named Terry Walling. He quotes Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he talks about how we in the Christian church in America have an insatiable need for quick fix approaches to spiritual problems. We want the answer solved and we want it solved today. We're not comfortable living in the tension of the now and the not yet that Kara introduced us to last week. That 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 middle ground of destabilization, and it feels a little bit chaotic, but that's the place where the Holy Spirit can come in and do his work and lead us to a whole new experience of life. He says, aligning to God's desires and purposes and surrendering to God's will becomes the defining moment in any transition. Let me say that again. Aligning to God's desires and purposes and surrendering to God's will becomes the defining moment in any transition. If we are going to change as people, if you want God to do a new work in your life, that pivotal moment, the place where the change really begins to take hold and take effect in your life and in our church is when we align ourselves to God's purposes and surrender ourselves completely to God's will so that he can be the master and the controller in our lives. Again, Jesus said it this way in verse 33. Those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples because that's what discipleship is. I want to just close with a little historical story. For those of you who are familiar with World War II, there's a, 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 a communication a propaganda poster back in World War II in England that has be, had a resurgence and become popular. Maybe you guys have seen it. Do we have that image? It's uh, keep calm and carry on. Right? And in the image, there's a, there's a crown or for a symbol of the kingdom of Britain. And uh, if you know the story, the Britons were being bombarded by the Nazis over and over again. And you never knew when the next raid was going to come or if the bomb was going to fall on your house or your neighbor's house. And can you imagine the chaos and the fear and the anxiety of living under a recurring bombing campaign? And so what, what the government did is they found these posters and they, they put them up all over London and everywhere around England. Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. And I think that is the message for us as a church today. We live in a world that is changing faster than we can keep up with it. We don't even know the challenges that we're going to be facing tomorrow, much less being able to meet the challenges that we already know today. But rather than allowing us to become afraid and fearful of the changes that might be coming, we have to keep calm 
put our trust in Jesus and put our heads together to say, God might be using some sense of chaos and discomfort to lead us to a whole new experience of his blessing and his power in our lives. So as we move forward as a faith community, I want to encourage you to take the time to sit in God's presence, to sit with Jesus in the Gospels and in his word and ask, where is God leading you to experience a little discomfort so that you can experience a whole new orientation in his mission, in his blessing in your life? Would you pray with me? God, we know that this is true. We've experienced this pattern in our own lives over and over again. We've seen it played out in the stories of Scripture in your people in many and in varied ways. God, we ask in humility that you would, in faith, continue to have patience with us and encourage us to keep moving forward with our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, we know that we have to give everything to you because without you, we have nothing. And so would you reorder our priorities? Would you give us the courage to put you first in our lives, knowing that as we live open-handed, all those other things will be added to us in the right order, in the right way, and at the right time, through your wisdom and your power, through your spirit. Amen. Amen.